you've ever, if you've ever heard the story of a man that was walking in late for church and the devil was sitting outside on the steps crying. And did you hear about this one? And the devil's just crying outside on the steps of the church. And the man says, what's wrong? And who are you? He goes, well, I'm the devil. And, and they're in there blaming me for everything. And I didn't do it. <laughs> so we have to be careful not to be spooky people, like super spiritual to the point where we're like, every, there's a devil around every corner. But I can tell you this, that there are angels in this place today because they, they come to minister. Amen. So there's spirit beings here, and the interesting thing about talking about the spiritual world is people have a lot of faith for the negative side of the spiritual world, and very little faith for the positive side. You tell people, oh, the Holy Ghost was in the church today, God, God came with his presence and filled the place as we were worshiping, and I just lifted my hands, and I was crying tears, and I was feeling God, and it was so awesome. And they're like, right, sure thing. And then you tell him, last night, I was walking my dog down the street, and I saw this demon up in the tree. And they're like, really? Go show me. Where, where? You know, they're like, there's always more faith in the dark side, it seems, than the, than the side that we need to focus on more. And that causes a little bit of curiosity um, among kids. They begin to search out. What is this stuff? Um, kids begin to play games. Sometimes even kids that don't know anything about the spiritual world get involved with the spiritual world and can get very heavily either possessed or oppressed by spirits because they're playing with Ouija boards at parties. They don't know what they're doing. They're just opening themselves up to the spiritual world as a door and they're not realizing they're doing this. So we're trying to address the gates in our life, the places we need to guard, and so that's what this is all about. So in that, I want to open with um, Ephesians chapter 6. We go through um, the Word of God. When Paul's speaking in Ephesians, he's actually talking in several different areas of the chapter before. He's talking about the picture of Christ in the church, okay? Everyone say Christ in the church, okay? And he gives the picture that the husband and wife, the relationship between the husband and wife is to be the picture of the church, the bride, and Jesus Christ, the groom. That's the picture. As we get a more worldly, a more worldly world, we're seeing the deterioration of the family and the and the original, the original plan of God, which was for the home to be the husband and the wife, as a representative that you have to spend a lot of effort and a lot of time and a lot of forgiveness and a lot of, you have compromise, give and take. All of that goes into a relationship between a husband and wife because we're human, right? Amen? We don't always get along. So therefore, that picture of the struggle of marriage to make it work and to stay together and to fight, we're losing that picture as a reference to God. So when you come into churches now, you'll hear a lot of slower songs, sensual songs that talk about the love of God and the peace of God and the forgiveness of God because because that's what people need. Relationships have broken down to the point that they're just see, we're just seeking for a help sometimes. Okay, so when we get to when we get to an understanding that God is not just sensual. Okay, He is also a God of reason and logic and truth. So if your relationship with God is only sensual, then you come for the feeling, but don't understand the battle. 
okay? So you, you, come, you come to church and you are completely enamored and love him and soak in his presence when you're here and fall in love with Jesus in the sense that he wraps his arms around you and you just lay your head over on the Lord and you're like, I'm so glad. I feel protected in his presence. I feel all this stuff as his, as his wife, as the church, as the wife. But then when he says, okay, now put on the whole armor of God and go out and war, we don't get that concept because we think that God should show us kindness, love, and all the good things in life that we should have come to us because we're walking with God on a regular basis, but God shows us in Ephesians that you're not just my wife, you're a warring wife. In other words, you're going to have a spiritual battle in life. There are spirits of darkness that are out there that are fighting you on a day-to-day -day basis. And that's why sometimes, see, you guys shouldn't have put me up first. I'm going to start preaching. And that's why sometimes you go to bed exhausted and you wake up exhausted because there are spiritual battles going on all over above your bed at night. And when you go to bed, your body goes to sleep, but your spirit wrestles all night long because God knows that you need a protector. And then we wake up exhausted and go, God, what is going on? Why do I have these things going on? Why do I feel tired all the time? What is it? Well, guess what? Your spirit's not resting in Jesus Christ where it needs to rest. Your spirit is trying to battle things by your own will, and you can't do it by your own will. The Bible says, be strong in the Lord, if you would give me that verse. It says, finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of whose might? Yours? Your willpower? Your strength? No, his power. Your willpower get in, gets involved. And I'll get to that in just a minute. Go on to the next verse. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, the tactics of the devil. Put on the whole armor of God so that you can progress, so that you can run. No, so that you can stand. In other words, God puts you in a place where he protects you only to the point that he surrounds you with armament for you to fight the battle. In other words, it's God's armor, but it's your fight. So what you have to understand is your will gets involved. You have to will yourself into a place where you have a walk with God, where you're putting on the armor of God every day. The blessed prayer, it goes on and it tells you what those, those, that armor is. But I want you to know that God doesn't give you the armor to progress you. You don't put a bunch of armor on somebody that's going to run somewhere. You don't load someone down and send them on a race. Okay, that just doesn't make any sense. So what God is actually teaching us in the word of God is that I'm going to purchase something for you and you're going to protect it. Okay? You have to understand, God has obtained it already through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. It's obtained, but we have to maintain it. We have to understand that our battle is not to ask God, would you please give me the thing that you want to give me? Our battle is to, to, is to put faith in the fact that he's already given it to you. You have to spend your life maintaining what he's already given you. You don't have to sustain it. His power and strength is what sustains us, okay? But we have to maintain the mindset of faith that it doesn't look like it while I'm praying for the healing, Sister Betty. It doesn't look like it while I'm praying for the financial blessing. It doesn't look like it while I'm praying for the obtaining of the new home or the new job or whatever it is. But you have to believe that in that moment, God has already purchased that for you. It's in God's place. 
plan, it's already there. You put your faith in it and you say, no, devil, I'm not going to let you make me doubt. I'm not going to let you come in and put in lies like, see, God doesn't care about you or he wouldn't have put you in this position. No, I'm going to stand, put on the whole armor of God, and I'm going to fight that area in my mind. The battlefield obviously is always in the mind, but he's going to fight. And and I know that I have to get off this subject, subject, so... Wow, we're going to do two weeks on this. I'm sorry. Um, so, we, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Everybody say, it's not people. But against principalities and against the rulers and darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That is what we wrestle against. So, you have to understand that there are very important things that come first Ephesians 5, he's talking about the bedroom, the husband and wife, the bedroom. He goes from a very, is as, as, as intimate as you want to think about it, in the relationship of husband and wife. He says that's what the relationship between the church and, and Christ should be. He said from that, he goes into children, obey your parents. He's, he goes from the, the relationship of the husband and wife, he steps down to the children, and he said, obey your parents, which is a relationship, which is a, a commandment with promise. In other words, the Bible says that Kids, if you obey your parents, you will live long upon the earth. I've always known that that's a great promise. I've always tried to apply it to my life. I try to honor my mother, honor my father, those kind of things. Even though there's things in their life I couldn't possibly honor. Mistakes that they made, I couldn't possibly honor. But guess what? Those are not the things I focus on. I try to honor what's good in their life because I want to live long upon the earth. How about you? But then while I was looking at this, as I was planning to transition into what we're about to go to and train our kids up in the ways of the Lord so that they, when they get old, they won't depart from those ways, I realized that there is a huge responsibility upon our parents to know that if we have a slack hand on our children, what a dangerous place to be in, that you could, link, you could lengthen your children's life by giving them good discipline in the home, or you could shorten their life by not disciplining them at all. I never say no at nine o'clock Johnny we go to bed no you don't break through the window when the store is closed when you got there late you teach them how to obey authority and respect authority we're seeing the breakdown of that in our culture aren't we we're seeing people video fights and video all kinds of stuff and that is just because there is no training in the home for the children he starts with the bride and the husband he goes down to the children and he says obey your parents and then he goes into the spiritual discussion of not just what's happening in the home between each other the battles that we face each day with our, our, our human flesh and different things like that and our personality types but then he goes into the spiritual warfare that comes against the home now some of us are not in the same kind of relationship that is presented in the scriptures i am fortunate to have the lovely lady that i have in my life give her a big hand as she is one of our panelists today and so as we talk about the husband and the wife we talk about relationship things we're going to do that on a regular basis at this church we're going to talk about training our children properly we're going to do that on a regular basis if your parents young people come to you and ask you to do something guess what God said your life will be longer if you obey them. Okay, Cindy? All right. And so with that, we want to arm you with some things that are spiritually attacking the home. There are things that are sneaking into our homes that the regular American has no concept that they're spiritually attached, that their spirit's attached to those things. And that's where we're going to go, go next, okay? Let's welcome Brother Reese as he brings to us some of the things that are affecting the home spiritually.
Well, praise the Lord, everybody. I'll hang out down here. It's a little more intimate that way. Um, I did put together uh, some material. In case you didn't know, um, I probably said this before, but I originally went to college to become a history teacher. Um, so I love history so much, and there's so much that we can learn from it. Uh, and I put together some things, um, some books that I read, some resources that I used uh, to just talk to you guys for a little bit about um, some things, like Pastor said, that are a part of our culture that we don't even understand are really there. So I wanted to, um, God asked me to share this uh, scripture while Pastor was reading, uh, or while he was delivering what God had given him. So I wanted to read Psalms 101 and 3. And it says, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside, it shall not cleave to me. What we have to understand is that the eyes and the ears are the gateway to the soul and what you allow in your eyes and what you allow in your ears goes into your heart and it stays with you. So um, I did put together a PowerPoint slide. Uh, if you want to pull that up for me, Nate. So I picked um, one thing in particular, which is uh, a religion in Japan. Believe it or not, this religion has attached itself to so many different pieces of our young people's culture today that has so many spirits and so much spiritualism attached to it that we don't even understand, like I said, that it's even there. So uh, Shintoism, or in the English tongue, means the way of the kami. And uh, if you want to go ahead and go to the next slide, um, I just wanted to give you a brief history before we really get into what the religion itself entails and what's uh, a part of it. So Shintoism is uh, what you would consider an ancient religion. It's something that's been around since Japan was settled. Um, it's an idea, uh, it's a belief system that the entire nation, this is really interesting. Shintoism was around before Buddhism. Shintoism was around before Confucianism. It was before Daoism. It is an ancient religion. So no one really understands or knows when it started, who founded it. And it was, a, uh, it was an organization of just really loosely affiliated uh, cults. And the reason for that is because part of their belief system is that spirits are regional. And if you understand anything about the spiritual world, that is true. Spirits are regional. Spirits have territories. And so these cults would worship different spirits of that region. So the, if they were in a mountainous area, they would worship spirits associated with mountains and with rivers and the ocean and, and all these different things. And they all had different uh, kami that they, that they worship. So, um, and their practices have not changed in centuries. So this is considered, some of their practices you'll see have been influenced by Buddhism and uh, Confucianism and Daoism, um, but their main ritual practices and their main belief system has not changed. Uh, so if you wanna go to the next slide, uh, there's three major points I wanna hit. I just threw these up there for your convenience, is the beliefs, the components, and the practices of this religion, okay? So you can proceed for me. I'm not going to take up too much time because this is, can get really deep and it can take hours to explain. So uh, the belief system of the religion is the worship of kami. Kami is, in the Japanese tongue, uh, what, we, what we would equate spirits. They don't consider kami as uh, gods. 
They don't consider them as um, a supreme being. They do not worship a God. Like they do not have a supreme uh, spirit that rules all of the kami. They're all on the same plane. Um, and they can be good or bad. They worship uh, oni, which are demons. They worship uh, good spirits and spirits of luck and things like that. So this guy, Motori uh, Norinaga, is a, is a, uh, he was a, there was a resurgence of Shintoism, I should say, in this time period, and he was one of the leaders of that. And this is what he said about kami. He said, I do not yet understand the meaning of the word kami. In the most general sense, it refers to all spirits that abide in and are worshipped at the shrines. So that just goes to say they don't worship gods, they worship spirits. And uh, like I said, kami are regional. They, they, they have territories. And uh, one sacred text that they use. I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. It's a really long Japanese word, but it's the longest known text in Japan that's still in existence. It says that there's 8 million million kami in Japan. You have to understand that the number eight is significant in their religion, just like seven in Christianity is the number of completion. Eight in their religion is the number of infinity. So when they say 8 million million spirits, what they're saying is there's an infinite number of spirits that they worship. That's what they're really saying. And this is just a, a painting that I found. It's on an ancient uh, shrine in Japan. And this just depicts some of the kami that they worship. Uh, if you notice, like, one of them has a bow with a hawk on the top of it. He is the uh, kami or the spirit of, of uh, hunting and provision and gathering and things like that. Um, but that's just a cool picture that I saw that um, just kind of explains that they, they have different personalities and they all work differently. So you continue. So the components of Shinto religion is animism. So they believe everything has a soul. That picture that I threw up there, I know it's really hard to see, but it's a really, really detailed picture. Like, it's a very detailed painting. It has components in every part of that painting. As you can see, the grass looks like it has a bunch of shapes and different colors in it. That's to show that each blade of grass, each rock, each tree, each leaf has a spirit associated with it. So that just tells you that they do worship an infinite amount of spirits. And they don't even have names for all of them. So the second component is charisma, supernatural power. Charisma is a Greek word meaning supernatural power or power. Um, and they believe in magic. They believe in uh, sorcery and, and, and witchcraft, if you really want to get down to it. Also, shamanism is the use of magic and mediums to contact spirits. So I'll talk about that in a little bit, but they use shamanistic rituals, which they still use today in Japan, um, to contact and interact with the spirits. Uh, also, syncretism. It's a jumbled religion. Their practices haven't changed for a long time, but they did incorporate um, some things from Buddhism like meditation and things like that. So that's why it's considered a jumbled religion um, as well as a religion that hasn't changed in forever, which is really interesting. Um, and symbolism. So they express meaning through symbols like the cross for us represents Calvary and things like that. So they do the same thing. So if you want to go to the next slide for me. And this is the last point I really want to hit um, is the practices. So... All rituals are performed by a male priest and female shaman. That still happens today. Um, and the first ritual that they do before starting anything is ritual purification. So when Pastor and I were talking about putting this stuff together, um, we mentioned that if you look at a lot, of, pretty much every religion, they have uh, very similar ways that they do things. Like there's usually purification beforehand, and then there's the actual ritual, and then there's things that happen afterwards. Um, 
And it's just really interesting to look at this. So they basically baptize themselves every time that they start uh, a ritual. Um, so they're praying in the water there. A lot of times they'll be under a waterfall and they'll pray under a waterfall. Um, I didn't want to put that picture up there because it's kind of immodest. But um, this one, at least they're fully clothed and they're in the water. Uh, just kind of show you that that's what they do before they start any practices. So if you want to go to the next one. So this is um, the way that they communicate with kami. So there's two forms, prayer, which is you know what we're familiar with is uh, we pray to God. They pray to spirits. Um, the second form is really uh, interesting. Okay, so they, I mentioned that they use shamanistic practices. What shamans do, they're mediums between the spirit realm and the physical realm. So these shamans will, uh, they'll dance or they'll do something until they fall into a trance. And then they'll invite the spirit to possess them so that everyone else can talk to the spirit. Which is really crazy to think about. Um, one of the ways that they did it, I read this last night in one of the books that I was uh, looking at, is that they would take a pot of boiling water and have a shaman walk around it, and they would use um, like bamboo shoots, and they'd sprinkle the water on the shaman as it was walking around, and then they would um, fall into a trance, and they'd use bells and chanting and all this crazy stuff. And then when the shaman fell into a trance, the spirit or whatever spirit they were trying to contact would possess them or um, I think I put it up there. So they, or their soul leaves their body to communicate with spirits, which is really crazy. And the ritual purification invites the spirits into their location. And then they use dancing and chanting to entice the spirit to possess them. So like I said at the beginning, I don't know. Is there another slide? I don't remember. No? Okay, that's the end. Uh, that's just where I got a lot of the information. But like I said earlier, I didn't just pick this religion out of thin air, okay? This has bound itself to so many components, especially of our young people's culture. Um, if you're looking at uh, anything that comes out of Japan, since Shintoism is such a huge component of the Japanese culture, everything that comes out of Japan is based on Shintoism, okay? So when you're looking at uh, TV shows, games, whatever it is, um, just to name a few, uh, the, the whole anime movement, when I was in high school, like that was all people read, and even in college, were just anime comic books, which is a shortened Japanese word for animation. So, um, but stuff like Dragon Ball Z, stuff like uh, Pokemon, stuff like um, Naruto and, and, and these different uh, comic books, that's what they're based on. And if you really look at the TV shows and if you really watch what's happening, they're casting spells, they're summoning demons, they're doing these things. And the problem with it is that when we allow that into our eyes, it's in our heart. And when it's in our heart, it's going to come out somewhere. So that's why this is so dangerous. That's why we've compiled all this information together because the Bible says that you should not walk un, uh, circumspectly as fools, but as wise. It's important to be wise and understand because when you uncover the tactics of the enemy, there's no power there anymore because we know what to watch for. We know what to look for. We know what to guard ourselves against. So I wanted to bring that to you. Um, 
I hope it was okay. I tried to do a really high-level overview. Um, so I'm just going to pass it to Sarah, and she's going to finish out for us. That was excellent. Thank you so much. All right. So, um, so my part of this is going to present to you um, some means in which to guard yourself, um, guarding your story, guarding the story of your children, guarding their your home, so that um, the the things that we've already talked about and things beyond that don't have the effect that Satan would want them to have on you and on your children and and on everything that you're involved in. So I want to start with a scripture, 2 Corinthians 6.14. I'm reading in the NLT version. And the Bible says, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? We're righteous, or we're trying to be righteous. Righteousness is right living, choosing the right things. And through our study of the word of God, we know what is right. That's what tells us what is right. God is a righteous God. So as we get closer to him, we become more righteous, or we should become more righteous. So it's saying, how can you partner that with wickedness? There's a disparity there. You can't do it. If you, if you try to do it, it's going to water down your righteousness. So, and how can light live with darkness? It can't. When the light appears, the darkness flees. That, that's science. That's scripture. We know this. So it, it's easy for us to kind of shrug this scripture off because we, most of our, us aren't intentionally trying to pair the two together. We don't think, okay, well, I'll have half righteousness today and half ungodliness today. We don't intentionally do that. But we can be really unaware of the spiritual influences that are in our everyday lives. The devil tries to get a foothold into our lives um, through fun, through innocence, through things that seem like it's not a big deal. That's what he uses. Because if, if you had no idea about any, any of the Shintoism or any of these spiritual, spiritually dark things, if you had no idea and all of a sudden, boom, a, demon, a mean, ugly demon appeared before you, you would most likely not listen to what he had to say. If, it's, if that demon said, come with me, I'm going to show you all the darkness. I want to show you evil. I want, you would be like, uh, no, that isn't appealing to me at all. That's not how Satan works. Satan, the Bible says that Satan comes as an angel of light. He first comes to us like innocence and fun. And even maybe in the name of education, maybe in the name of this is good for you. This will help you. But you know what? The Bible says he's a liar. He is a liar. He is a deceiver. He is a master at taking truth and twisting it and representing it as truth. And he does that. He's done that for millennia. He knows what he's doing. This is something he's good at. So we have to be aware of his tactics. We have to be aware of his goals. We have to know where he's going with this because if we're forewarned, we're forearmed. Remember? The old saying, forewarned is forearmed. Maybe you don't know that one. 
Anyways, um, so we know that Satan's goal is to kill and steal and destroy. That's in John, John 10, 10. We also know he's the father of lies in John 8, 44. And yet, a lot of times we expect that his tactics are going to be obvious. Like, we'll see him coming a long way off. No, mm mm-mm. It's not true. We think we're going to see his every move, but we won't. We think, oh, we won't be tricked. I'm a smart person. I've got my eyes wide open. That's what we think. Wow, we have a lot of of uh, faith in ourselves if we really think that some spirit that's been working on this for millennia is going to be so easy for us to spot. We have to educate ourselves. We have to pray and ask God to educate us and help us to discern these spirits. So what do we do? How do we avoid being tricked? Um, And there's a ton of stuff that we could go over. We could get really intense on this, but I'm trying to give you an overview today because we're going to get to our panel discussion in just a moment. So a couple of things, if you do want to write these down, how do you avoid being tricked by the, the spirits that are out there? How do you avoid being deceived by Satan? First of all, you have to be on guard. You have to be in a stance of guarding. You have to be discerning. And we have to be watching and praying. If you put up the, the photo, clueless is no excuse. So much stuff comes at us. So much stuff enters our homes through games and movies and videos and, and whatever. Cards, whatever. And a lot of times we are clueless. But someday we're going to stand before God. And can you imagine if he says, why did you live your life in this manner? Can you imagine standing before him and trying to explain to him? I just didn't know. I'm clueless. You're not going to be able to do that. Because he has made it available for us to know. And we're supposed to take advantage of the knowledge that he offers us. So we have to be gatekeepers of our hearts and our minds. And as parents, we have to be gatekeepers of our homes for our children. Put up the house picture, please. This is an actual photo from last year, I think, about it, within this last year when there was all that flooding in Mississippi. This person knew something. They had taken the knowledge that they were in a floodplain or wherever they were, and they decided they were going to do something to protect their home. They went to great extent to, to protect their home, didn't they? Look at that, that building around. I mean, it's a huge a huge uh, levee, I guess you would call it, and see the floodwaters around. And the Bible says that the, f- the flood will come in when the enemy comes in like a flood. The Lord shall lift up a standard against. And if we don't know what that standard is, we're not going to have that kind of protection. Their home is safe. Everything in their home is safe. They are safe. Their children are safe. And maybe the neighbor is not. Because they did something to guard, guard their home. So we know a flood is coming. The Bible says that. The flood is coming. Not a literal flood, but a flood against, a flood against our, our spirits, against our minds. So we have to prepare ourselves. So how do the influences get into our heart and mind? Brother Reese was talking about the gates. And two gates I want to hit. The ear gate. Things come into our heart and into our minds through our ears, what we listen to. What are you listening to? What is on your iPod? What's your music? Is it worshipful to God? Is it good music? Does it edify you? Or is it full of trash? What are your podcasts that you listen to? What are, what's the media that you allow to speak into your life? The media is constantly chattering. I mean, it's constantly 
going on and on and on and on. I mean, you can see hundreds of viewpoints within one day of watching media. And that's our ear gate. That comes in through our ears. And then we have another gate called our eyes. And things come in. Our eyes are amazing. And they take in so many impulses and so many images every second. Thousands, millions. And so don't you think that would be an excellent tool for Satan to use against you? An excellent tool. So what comes in our eye gate? Everything we see, our TV shows, our movies, our books, our magazines, any printed material that we read, any photos we look at, the internet, social media, gaming, all our games that we play, the innocent ones, the not innocent ones, those all go into your heart through your eyes. And so we find that it really is true. Garbage in and garbage out. Because the Bible says that whatever is in your heart is going to come out. What are you putting in your heart? What are you putting in your heart? Garbage in and garbage out. Exposure to images and terminology that have to do with the occult, they have to do with this, these, uh, this Japanese anime, the Shintoism, the spiritual darkness that has attached itself to our games and our movies and, and all of that. The exposure to those images and, and the terminology, we get used to it, it feels familiar to us. This is what it does to you. It desensitizes you to what is ugly, what is evil, what is repulsive. If you watch something ugly long enough, you will no longer think of it as ugly. If you see something evil long enough, it will not seem so bad. You will come to view it as okay. You will also be desensitized to sorcery and to the occult. The more often you see images of demons and images of angels of darkness, the more often you see that kind of thing, the more that seems normal. And so then when it comes against you, you will go with it. You'll be okay with it. Another thing that will happen to you, you will develop an interest in and a fascination with death. The powers of darkness are all about death. They're not about life. God is about life. The issues of life come from him. Satan does whatever he can do that's against God. So death is where he resides. All that stuff that you're putting in is just paving the way for you to be okay with death and dying and destruction. That's what Satan does. Also, an exposure to these things will give you a familiarity with the occult, with the terms and the concepts of magic, and all the things that you can do spiritually in darkness that can have a negative effect on the people around you and on you yourself. And you will develop a taste for bizarre things. It is not normal. It is not normal the way people think nowadays. The way people act out some of the stuff we're seeing come through the news about people doing this to this person, they're, it's bizarre. It's horrible. Where did that come from? How did we get to a point where people would even think to do that? They got to that point slowly but surely. They kept going in the direction of darkness. Um, I'm running out of time, but I want to hit these real quick. 
fantasy. Fantasy, is it bad? Is it bad to have to play fantasy games? Is it bad to uh, have fantasy uh, football? <laughs> or fantasy, yeah. <laughs> is that fun? Is it good? Okay, I, I don't know that football is rooted in Shintoism. I am not going to go out on that limb. <laughs> but fantasy is actually your imagination. And who gave your, you your imagination? God did. He's our creator, right? He gave us an imagination for a purpose. Everything God gave you is for a purpose. And the imagination that God gave you is to allow you to be like him. He is a creator. And if we are made in his image, that means we have creative power. We have creative abilities. And he, and he designed us to do that. So we are able to create. We're able to appreciate beauty. We're able to appreciate the creation of somebody else, right? Um, and we're even able to be entertained by that. And, but just as with anything human, it can be misused. We have to take control of where our imagination leads us. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10.5, cast down the imaginations in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. This is a command. We are instructed that we are the ones that are supposed to take hold of the thoughts and imaginations in our heart and in our mind. And if you don't, then you are actually sinning because this is a command from God. Take control of the thoughts. If a thought introduces itself into your mind from whatever kind of influence around you, you have to do something about it. You will do something about it. You will either ignore it, you will follow it, or you will reject it. You will do something with that thought. So it's up to you. What are you going to do with those thoughts? Filling our minds with images of death and darkness and ugly, bizarre characters is really just allowing our God-given creativity to be perverted, which is Satan's plan. There is nothing Satan likes better than to see God's creation turn into perversion. So instead, we look at Philippians 4.8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true and honest and just and pure and lovely and of good report, worth talking about. If there's any virtue, if there's any praise, that's what you're supposed to be thinking on. These are the thoughts that you keep. These are the thoughts that you expand on. These are the thoughts that you pursue. When you pursue the other thoughts, when you pursue the evil things that are out there, when you pursue the gaming and the TV shows and all the things that introduce all this spiritual darkness into your life, what you are doing, the more you spend on that kind of thing, a couple of things will happen. You will, have, you will experience reality distortion. What is that for you children? It blurs the lines between what is real and what is fake. And you get into role-playing games and you begin to take on the characteristics of the role you're playing. And you continue to do that and you spend so much time on it that perhaps you get addicted to it and you spend so much of your life on it and your reality becomes distorted. And you don't know where the line is between real and fake. And that's where some of these people go where they will do these horrible things because they lost that line a long time ago. Where is the line of real and fake? Games can actually influence players in their real life due to the distortion of the line between fantasy and reality. The younger the player is, the more difficult it is for them to determine the difference between real and fake. So be careful how you let your little children play on some of these games. Be careful. 
Another thing it'll give you is emotional baggage. When you immerse yourself into role-playing games, when you immerse yourself into fantasy, fantasy games or movies, you take on the emotional baggage of the character you are portraying or watching. You take on emotional baggage that's not yours. We have our own emotional baggage, don't we? We all have emotions. We feel, whether we want to or not, we feel anger, we feel sorrow, we feel disturbed, disturbed by things. All of that is our own emotional baggage. God can help us handle that. But what are you going to do when you're overloaded with a bunch of emotional baggage that's not yours to carry? You weren't designed to carry emotional baggage from so many sources. You were designed to carry the emotional baggage of your own source, and we were supposed to carry that to the cross. That's what we're supposed to do with it. It's not your emotions. Stop picking them up. Stop carrying them. Those things have come in your eye and ear gates. So how should I respond to the influences of this current pop culture? Be informed. Do some research. Find out about the games, the movies, and the shows that, you, that might be questionable. If it doesn't look like it's godly, it might not be. So you need to research it. Find out the history, the background of the creator of the game. What do the characters' names mean? Has there been people that have had bad experiences with this? Check it out. Another thing, be discerning. What does this game or movie teach me? What is the message? Obvious message or subtle message? Are there supernatural powers involved? If there are, what's the source of that power? What power are we supposed to be seeking? Holy Ghost power. Does it go against or line up with God's word? There's your standard. Is there symbols, characters, and char characteristics that link it to the occult? What influence does this game or movie or show exert on me or on my child? How does my child act? How do they behave or respond or change when they're involved with this? What feelings come to the surface? And then third, be honest. If you have questions, if you're unsure of something, if something is good or bad, take it to Jesus he has placed his Holy Spirit in us to guide us, to instruct us, to enlighten us. He has given us his holy word to instruct us. And it says to reprove us and to correct us. We need correcting because we don't know all the answers. And sometimes we choose wrong. And then number four, be prayerful. Prayer works. It works. Prayer lines us up to what God intended all along. That is communion with him, a relationship with him. Prayer cleanses us. It influences us to be holy like God. And that is what we are commanded to do. The Bible says, be holy for I, meaning God, am holy. And when you're prayerful, it's much more likely that you'll be holy and make the right choices. So put up the last picture I'm challenging you to take the garbage out. Take the garbage out. Go through your home. Go through your life. Go through your devices. Find the garbage. Ask God to reveal the garbage to you. Show you what you should take out. And if it's questionable and you can't prove that it's garbage, take it out anyways. Is it helping you? No? Do you have to have it? Take it out. Try dealing without it. Try deleting it. See what happens. I challenge you. 2 Timothy 2, 21 and 22 says, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, 
set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who are called, who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Take the garbage out. Hallelujah. So we understand our panel is coming up right now. We have some question and answers, but just so you understand, um, I'm going to put this Bible down. Carrying around a King James family size Bible. Um, Satan's names revealed here. Satan, obviously, his name means adversary, First Peter 5. You don't have to bring that up, okay? Um, if you could go to Romans 1, though, and get that ready. Romans 1, verse 26. Um, another name for Satan is the devil, which means slanderer. Another name for him is Lucifer, the son of the morning. He was in God's presence, and he was um, an angel. He was an archangel that had free will, obviously. But he, his name also is Beelzebub, which means Lord of the Flies. I kind of like that one. That's in Matthew twelve twenty four. Other names, Belial, evil one, tempter, prince of this world, accuser of the brethren. Representation includes serpent, dragon, and angel of light. Those are all different places that he has representation. And um, Satan attacks God, his plan for your life, and the church on a regular basis. He's a roaring lion, the Bible says, seeking whom he may devour. He has false philosophies that he puts into our world. He has false religions, false ministers, false doctrine, false disciples even. And he has false morals. All those things are coming against the church in our lives on a regular basis. Um, and so we have to know that those attacks are going to come through government. It's going to happen. Not, not, it, it's directing government. He directs government in Daniel 10 and 13. It talks about it. he deceives men in 2 Corinthians 4. 4. He destroys life in Hebrews 2.14. He persecutes the saints. Amen. In Revelations 2.10, he he's pre um, preventing service. He tries to prevent us from serving God. He promotes schisms. He pr promotes separation and division. Um his, his plan is divide and conquer every time. He's uh, planting doubt in many people's hearts. That's his, he's like, in Genesis 3, 1 and 2, he's like, with Eve, he's like, did God really say? He automatically doubts what God says. And you'll have that, thoughts like that float through, and Sarah did a good job of saying, grab a hold of those thoughts, pull them down. And then he promotes sin, anger, pride, worry, self-reliance, discouragement, worldliness, lying, immorality, um, producing, he produces sex and different sect and cults that will lead people astray. And so the, all of these things are part of our understanding is we need to have balance in our life and that balance helps us to look for areas where the enemies try to come in. Um, so there's a couple questions here. Um, the application is balance and wisdom are crucial in our assessment of spiritual opposition to assign too much or too little credit to the reality of demonic activity is an error. Is, a, is an error. So we want to be not super spiritual and know that God is in charge. There is a spiritual world just like there's a real world. And just as real as the real world, real world is, the spiritual world is. So we have to know that. And so these guys have done a really good job. Um, give them a big hand one more time of presenting...
and then we have a first question here that Tasha is going to read for us. Does everyone have a guardian angel? Are our deceased loved ones spirits around us? Um, the Bible does not say that we are assigned a guardian angel. Uh, there's no scriptural proof of that. But what the Bible does say is that he provides protection through the angels for his people. Um, it says that he shall give his angels charge over thee. It says that he sends ministering spirits. Uh, it says that he uh, sends warring angels that fight on our behalf. There's um, instances of that in the Bible. Um, and so the the worldly concept of, oh, I have my guardian angel is just like my best friend that I can't see. That, that isn't correct. That, that's a man-made idea. But the idea that God does put angels around us and that minister to us and protect us and, and help us, yes, that is absolutely true. There's been several instances where um, angels have appeared to men. Uh, natural, um, the natural response of the human heart is fear when you see a spirit being. Everywhere in the scripture where you read, their first response is they're afraid. Even whenever Jesus comes walking on the water to his own disciples, they were afraid. And he says, be not afraid. That's always his response, fear. So any spirit that comes, you have to, the Holy Spirit in us allows us to discern whether it's a good spirit or not. But if you have fear automatically when spiritual things happen, that's a normal human response. Um, so I've seen several i've had several stories told about people that saw spirits behind preachers as they were preaching different things like that and sometimes and um, most often it's more than one angel that shows up it's not just one angel being there but often two angels standing behind them or two angels there so if we say we have a guardian angel you're actually limiting god because oftentimes he gives you more than enough help um than just one so And then um, the second part of that question was, are our deceased loved ones spirits around us? Something to say? Okay. Take a shot at this one. Um, well, there are uh, a couple schools of thought on, um, you know, what happens to our loved ones that are saved when they when they pass away. Do they are they asleep until? Um, you know the the lord's day or are they in heaven right now you know like that kind of thing um i do not believe that our uh deceased loved ones are spirits around us i know there's a common um thought of ghosts and hauntings and things like that and your spirits are in the home with you and that kind of thing i don't i don't personally believe that i don't find any scriptural reference for that um so I hope that answers. <laughs> there, like I said, there are a couple different ideas of of afterwards, but I I don't believe that they reside here. Just as attack on the Bible specifically does say that when we die, our spirit goes back to God. So it belongs to Him. It goes to Him. So whatever He does with that, um, honestly, personally, I don't care. <laughs> But as, if I'm going back to God, you know, whatever he does from there, he's a just God and he's faithful. So uh, I'll get what I deserve. Um, what 
categories of spirits does the Bible talk about? Familiar, uh, f familiar wicked, lying, holy, etc. <laughs> I'll just talk too much. Um, so there are, uh, we were all talking about this. This was actually a big um, subject that came up when we were collaborating for this um, for this service. Uh, so there are a couple that Pastor mentioned, the human spirit or our soul. Um, unclean spirits, which are identified as when Lucifer was kicked out of heaven and a third of the angels went with him. Those are the unclean spirits, the ones that went with Lucifer. Those are the ones that became the spirit of pride, the, the lust, and, and all that kind of thing. Um, and then there's the spirit of God, obviously. Um, so those are three major spirits. Those are really broad categories, um, but that's the, the three major ones that we talked about anyways. Did you want to talk? Well, and just in the scripture, it talks about that we're condemned to entertain familiar spirits. Those, those spirits that are familiar spirits are um, spirits that maybe would be in your life, in your family's life, come through some sort of uh, generational curse. They, have, they may have been um, a problem. Maybe your grandfather or your, or your great-grandfather was an alcoholic, and there are spirits attached to addiction, okay? So those familiar spirits could be in your lineage, and what the Scripture talks about is you're not to entertain those things or entertain those spirits. So what we have to do is make sure that we're prayed up, we're, we're obviously armored up, um, and we're also aware that um, anything you get close to becomes normal, okay? Um, you can get close to something long enough, you can, you can hang out around something long enough, as Sarah said, that they become a familiar spirit to you, and you no longer have a guard up against that. You want to make sure that you're not letting unclean spirits in any avenues of your life. That's all I guess. Are there evil spirits that work through types of entertainment? Do all forms of worldly entertainment have spirits? I, th I think we actually did handle that one over um, the presentations. That yes, there there are evil spirits that work through the stuff that gets into our eye and ear gate. How can you tell when someone has an evil spirit? How do evil spirits work through people? Contrast this with the Holy Spirit. Um, well, uh, the, the Bible says that the discernment of spirits is a spiritual gift, right? Um, God gives that to people, and we can all pray for the spiritual gift. I believe that that is a really important gift to have, especially since that, uh, the, that we're filled with the Holy Ghost, and we have a spirit, um, the human spirit, and, and the... Uh, the spiritual world interacts with us, okay? And actually, in Shintoism, they deal with this a lot. How can you tell when somebody is possessed, okay? They call it, um, I wrote this down because I just, I read it a couple days ago. Uh, kamigakari is kami possession, spirit possession. And they say that anytime somebody's possessed with a spirit, it comes with a physical and mental manifestation of the spirit. So it changes the way you think, and it changes the way you act, and that is a, uh, you know, I'm not saying that everybody's possessed that does, you know, bad things, right, but influencing, uh, spirits influence us all the time, you know, and 
with the Holy Ghost, the way that we can tell when somebody's full of the Holy Ghost. Have you ever, this might be different for guys than girls because girls haven't, you know, just naturally people are like, oh, what's with the long hair and the skirt and that kind of thing. But when you're a guy and you look like most normal guys and you go into the store and somebody's like, there's something different about you. You know, they can sense the Holy Ghost in you. They can sense righteousness and they can sense holiness through you. The same happens with spirit possession when it's not godly. You can sense those things through spiritual discernment. And most of the time, um, it manifests itself some physical way that we can see. Also, most spirits like darkness and, and dirtiness. Um, if you have ever lived in the world at all, I don't know if any of you have, um, you don't have to raise your hand, but if you ever live in the world at all and you, you go into the world and you see the way that they live and they interact, um, the places where they hang out are often dirty, dingy, and whenever you get a spirit on you that's a bad spirit, um, I don't know, Just I guess just look at look at the bar scene or look at any scene that's that's... Look at um, the raves and look at um, there's there's places downtown that I have to drive to, by on the way to work and they're 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 bringing in like heavy death metal bands to play there and it's always dirty and it's always run down and it's always dark. Um, there's a reason why demons like darkness and they like dirt. Um, <laughs> it's just they that's that's what that's what they are all about. So I don't know if that makes any sense to you, but I want you to know that as soon as God starts moving on your life and starts touching you, you'll have a desire to clean yourself up or to clean things up in your life he'll start show, shining light on things and you'll be like oh okay yeah this makes sense so but um as far as spiritual possession um, we're not seeing the kind of spirit possession that we saw in the 80s and um, early 90s in america because there's so many people that are uh, truly having some connection to god in some way but spiritual mediums are music video those kind of things and um I guess I would give you Bible on that because I don't, I don't want you to think that I'm just talking off the top of my head. Um, Nate, would you give me Romans 1, um, 28 and down? I just want to hit this real quick, and then we'll be done here shortly. Um, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient um, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliceness, full of envy, murder. How many are seeing that today? Debate. Everybody wants to debate every single issue. Deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despite, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventor, uh, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. We're seeing, definitely seeing a lot of that. Without understanding covenant breakers without natural affection implicate i've never seen i mean i i've seen divorce on the rise all of my ministry but i've never seen children divorcing their parents like i'm seeing it now i'm seeing children that are walking away from their parents and saying i never want to talk to you or see you again you are dead to me and they, I'm finding relationships now that people that are coming to church that say things like, I haven't talked to my dad in 20 years. That is astounding to me, what's going on. And it's just the breakdown of our culture in, in sin. In, um, so without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful. And then here is the, here's the component that I wanted to get to that what... Our ear gates and our eye gates are so important. And, and what's coming through those things, it says, who knowing the judgment of God, 
that they which commit such things are worthy of death not only do the same. People that know about God, they, they not only know it, but they watch they they see people do it and they do the same but have pleasure in them that do them so who knowing the judgment of god that they which commit such things are worthy of death in other words sin brings death not only do the same they're doing the same things as those people but have pleasure in them that do it you can capture a whole lot of video a whole lot of internet content right there are you having pleasure in people that commit murder? Are you having pleasure? Are you watching? Are you entertaining yourself with things that are of that spiritual nature? Because there are spirits attached to it. It's a medium for spirits, okay? So that is the Bible right there. For every R-rated, X-rated, anything you want to put, you can put it right in that last sentence, but have pleasure in them that do them. Are you, are you, are you excited about going to a movie that's edgy? Are you, do you watch... Hate to say it, do you watch any horror films? You know, and I know I talk to people that are like, Pastor, it's fake. It's all fake. That's just fake stuff. Your mind processes and pictures. And your mind is so smart. It, that's why we call it the brain. It's smart. It has to categorize and file everything you see and hear and put it somewhere. And if you don't categorize it and file it in a proper way, it'll drop into your subconscious. And you will build a subconscious that is so big that hasn't been handled by God's presence and his forgiving blood that you will be unable to be courageous toward God because you have a conscience that is against God. You have a conscience that's working against God. In other words, the context that we have to understand is that the Bible says that walking with God and having God touch our life is the answer of a good conscience toward God. In other words, you build a big enough conscience of negative, ugly things, sooner or later, that's going to affect your walk with God. And if you can't file it in good or bad or godly or, un or ungodly, if you can't do that and then take your life and go, I don't need that in my life, this is what God is okay with, whatever is good, peaceful, lovely, you know, all of those things that they said, then obviously you have to know that you're allowing yourself to be tainted by those things. Okay, I'm sorry that was long. If demons can't read my mind, then how do they know when I'm trying to say or think Jesus and put enormous pressure over my mind and across my lips to stop me from doing it? There is no proof that a demon or Satan can read your mind. Um, that being said, if a spirit can see what you're doing and can see your responses to the things around you and can see your actions, I think the spirit would be able to have an idea of where your heart is at, right? Because what what is in your heart comes out. And if what's coming out is... Uh, leaning towards your weaknesses or leaning towards something that you struggle with, that gives a cue to a spirit to say, oh, that's an area of weakness for that person. I can use that against them. I can use that to bring them into some kind of bondage to that weakness. And so the it 
it's not only what's in our thoughts that gives those cues. It's also in our, our physical actions. Are you acting out the things of God? Are you acting out holy living? Are you acting out um, clean and pure and right things? If you aren't, that gives the spirits a cue that you're willing to go the other direction. And if you are willing to go the other direction, their whole aim is to get you as far from God as possible. And so if they see a place where they can lead you astray, they will. That's their aim. Remember, they are darkness. The Bible says God is light. If you have enter a dark room and turn on even a flashlight... The darkness flees. It can't be there. Wherever light is, darkness cannot be. And those demons do not want to be in the presence of God anymore. They were cast out. They hate him. And so they are wanting to run away from any sense of light because that is representative of the one true God. And so if they see darkness in you, they will try to pull you towards the darkness in order to get back at God, if you want to say it that way. Um, <clears throat> if you've ever used the name of Jesus before, they can assume that you're going to try to use it again. They don't have to know your thoughts to know that you're probably going to drop the name. <laughs> it's just a fact. You're a name dropper. Um, so this is this will help you. Satan's powers are limited. Um, he is a created being. He's not the creator. He's not equal to God. He's not God's opposite because he is a created being. God is the creator. He is a created being. He will never be like God, even though he tried to be like God. That got him kicked out of heaven like a bolt of lightning. Therefore, he's not omniscient and he's not infinite. Okay, um, He can be resisted by the Christian in James 4 and 7. And he can. God places limitations on him in uh, Job 1 and 12. So, as... As we wrap this up here, I just want you to know that you don't have to fear the enemy. I've seen people that have had in this last, I want to say the last year or two, I see more and more people, people taking medications for fear and anxiety and um, pan, panic attacks, things of those natures, uh, of that nature. And, and I want you to know that the Bible tells us that perfect love casts out all fear. And the Bible says that God has not given us a spirit of fear. So therefore, if, it's, if you're having a constant battle with anxiety or fear, um, anxiety and panic attacks are fear that's not grounded or ungrounded fear. Like, what if, or this could, or this not actually happened, it just could happen. And the only way to defeat that, the only tool to defeat that is to begin to meditate, think over uh, the love of God. Begin to spend time in the Word of God, just reading scriptures about His love for you. And that's why when we first started, I talked about how churches are growing so big because they're singing a lot of songs about he loves us, oh, how he loves us, and all of this love and stuff. That's what's attacking that spirit of fear that's on our culture. And so they're drawn to it, but they don't know how to get saved. You understand what I'm saying? So when we come into God's presence, we can be drawn to his love, but we have to make sure that we understand what we're fighting against. So when you feel a panic attack coming, just start to rehearse, he loves me, he chose me, 
He came and loved me before I could ever love him. He knew me when I was in the womb. He knew me before I would ever make a mistake. His grace is greater than anything I could ever uh, uh, fall into or any mistake I could ever make. His grace is greater than that. He's already made provision for all of my imperfections. That is what God has done for us. So let's stand together and let's pray. I, I hope this was okay for you. I know it was long and I knew it would be long, but I, it's all right, okay? Um, let's pray together and just ask God to help us to process. Jesus, today we know you're powerful and you're great, God. We know and we take confidence in what you're doing in each one of our lives. But God, if there's some way that you could just shine a light on the things that are bringing darkness into our homes. Shine a light on the things that are bringing darkness into our devices. Lord God, shine a light on the things that are bringing darkness into our eyes and our ears. Lord, if, if there's, if there, dear Lord, help us if there's things we're listening to and they're using slander and language, Lord God, that is, is derogatory to women or men. Or they, Lord, help us if we're watching anything, Lord Jesus, that, it, that is us taking uh, entertainment and, and pleasure from from the things that are evil, Lord God. Would you please help us to cleanse our hearts and minds, God, so that we would not have those spirits come and attack us, but we would be a person that controls the space, that we give no place to the devil, Lord God. We give no place to the enemy. And I, I feel your spirit here working on someone's heart. There's going to be a decision made in someone's life where I'm going to clean it up. I'm going to take what's been dirty, what's allowed, been allowed in. And I'm going to analyze, is that of God? Is that good for me? Is that good for my spirit? I don't want to put junk food in my life spiritually and expect myself to perform at a high level spiritually. I want to seek out good spiritual nourishment, God, and I need to have you give that light to those that are here and to myself. I need you to lead us and to guide us into all truth, to help us, Lord Jesus, to see what is good and what is bad, to see what is the, 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 the Trojan horse of the devil that's trying to sneak in, Lord God, and contaminate areas of our life would you help us to do a complete cleaning today lord jesus in every area of our heart and mind lord god forgive us of any sin would you just ask god that right now forgive me of anything that i've let in that was the devil's device to contaminate my heart and my life cleanse me today let me live this week watching for things that i can help you lord help me in in jesus name Everybody said amen. amen. God bless you. I know it's a little bit different of a Sunday, but it was good. Amen. We love you so much. Have a great week.